HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good evening and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Um, Our show today is all about markets. We're going to deviate a little bit from our normal cheese-centric show and talk about markets, specifically the New Amsterdam market. Um, My guest today is Robert LaValva, who is the founder and director of New Amsterdam Public, which is a not-for-profit organization that drives... New Amsterdam Market, which um, hopefully many of our listeners have been to and patronized and enjoyed. And I should say before we get started chatting that um, our show today is being produced and engineered by Nat Wiener and is being sponsored by TechServe, Manhattan's best and uh, only independent Apple store. Um, so thanks for being on this show, Robert. You're more than welcome. I'm really pleased to do it. <laughs> um so markets, um, I actually brought my copy of um, Carolyn Steele's book, Hungry City, with me, hoping to find the exact quote, um, but of course couldn't do it. Um, but she talks at some point in her book about um, the old Greek markets, the mm-hmm. Agora, where um, you know the market hall actually housed also the government mm-hmm. as well. And the market building was... Uh, a building where there was the you know the commerce took place on the bottom and the governing took place on the top. Um, and you're an architect by training, so do you know about the agora and about that structure and about? Well, from what I know, I, I'm not as well acquainted with the with the mar- agora as a market hall, but more with the agora as a as a space as an outdoor space, which you could imagine in the in the Mediterranean climate in the Greek cities that's really it would have been more a bit like that but I'm glad you bring it up as a way to start the conversation because those are certainly in the Western world among the earliest examples we know of public markets and public market spaces and there's a lot to really learn from them in terms of their power and their um, resonance over time. Something interesting about the Agora was that it was a place, it was really like entering a precinct. And there were certain rules of behavior for entering the Agora, and there were certain boundaries that were set. 
to defend that space as public space, to defend it from encroachment of private development or, or what it would have been known as at the time. And there was a certain feeling, and there's a, there are wonderful descriptions of this in some of the histories of, of Greek uh, civilization, where the Agora was a center of civic life. It was a place where you can combine, I guess, combine commerce and culture, mm-hmm. and where the the Greek cities were renowned for their agoras and for as being places where it was just a delightful uh, occasion to stroll about, mingle about, I'm sure nibble on things or or um, taste things and meet the merchants and the ware sellers, but also conduct business and also, uh, depending on the cities, be near the, the seats of government. And there seems to be something in that that maybe we've lost touch with where, where you had... Um, that blending of of the casual and the the serious and of the of the very real and human and everyday need to buy food because food was always a, a part of this mingled with other daily needs and uh, that that bringing together of people and of goods and of ideas is what made the place a very special place. Yeah, so it's very interesting hearing just thinking about that description and and you brought something up that I always think about um, because I guess because you kind of taught me about it but the difference between or or the difference between most markets and a public market Mm -hmm. Um, and New Amsterdam market has always been posited as a public market Um, so could you talk a little bit about that and what makes sure. a public market different from most markets? Well, it's something I've certainly delved into because it, it's it's what's always drawn me to the project. I'm very interested in creating or recreating or reviving or reinventing a public market and what just what does that mean? And like anything that's complex, you can look into it and find so many different definitions and people will say, well, it's public if it's in a public space and it's public if it gets public funding or it's public if A, B, or C. In my mind, a public market and what differentiates a public market is that it is a public space where private commerce is conducted, but where there is a civic aim and where there's kind of an exchange going on where the public sector is providing a place where small businesses can thrive and have a have an audience of shoppers and have shared costs that therefore lowers their cost of doing business. And this extends, you know, you could talk about it now, you could talk about it 100 years ago, you could talk about it 2,000 years ago, it was the same kind of needs. But that in one way or the other, there is an exchange in that a public market is governed by rules. It's not just it's a free-for-all, there's no such thing as a totally free market. But that those rules... And I think this this cha- this is a cycling thing, and it changes over time, and needs change over time. But that the rules are furthering civic aims. Whether it's in the very earliest days, I think the public markets were actually the seat of where a lot of agriculture ultimately was invented. But there's a lot of uh, discussion of the fact that agriculture, in many ways, had d- its development had a lot to do with cities. It didn't just develop out in the rural area by itself. Public markets certainly help promote economic development, help promote small businesses, help revive agriculture after the fall of the Roman Empire. Helped, um, they help revive neighborhoods. They help further public health. They help enforce, uh, bring in standards. They help uh, maintain the law. Pu- often, public markets is where the inspectors would come and make sure that all your measures were 
really weighing everything was being weighed accordingly and evenly where your meat was not being stored in a way that it would uh, was really going bad and would cause disease so there was a public uh, concern governing how private business was conducted and and that's to me what differentiates or distinguishes a public market yeah that's um I mean I, I love yeah the how far reaching it is I love the the integration of things like public health and um, weights and measures things mm-hmm. like that you know that you wouldn't normally uh, that you wouldn't necessarily tie in um, right so what was your inspiration for beginning the New Amsterdam market project well it's a question I'm often asked and it's like one of those things where there is no one thread that leads you to the past how did I come about this idea since I'm with you, I'll say I'll give one of those threads, and it had to do with cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time when I had become acquainted with this food revolution or food movement, however you want to call it, uh, the, with this very inspiring and wonderful energy that was coming out of all these people who were re- remembering that, that we have different ways of producing food and consuming food and selling food. I had thought for a while that I might want to open my own shop, they would focus on selling this kind of food and focus on selling regional foods and, and be a kind of a center for understanding food. And in my explorations uh, into what that would mean, I very fortuitously ended up at Neil's Yard Dairy in London. where a cheese mecca. <laughs> a cheese mecca, which I still, other than your shop to be that will be the greatest cheese shop in the world, <laughs> I, uh, I do think Neil's Yard Dairies is one of the most amazing uh, cheese shops that I've ever seen, certainly, and it has a certain energy and vitality to it. I knew someone connected with it who, who uh, connected me with being able to work there for a few days, and I worked in the cellars and, and, and uh, wrapping and, and, and taking care of the cheeses being aged, and I worked in the, uh, in the shop uh, helping to sell the cheese, and one morning I was sent to get there at 5 a.m. Uh, to help set up the shop because it's a very serious business there, how they set it up and they unwrap everything and, and rewrap it just so and cut it this way and stack it this way. It, it was, is like a sculpture. It Their really store is. is a living sculpture and it changes every day and it's absolutely beautiful. It, it really does. They do an incredible job and, and it's an amazing place in many fronts. And I was there, so I was there quite early in the morning on a Friday morning, or maybe either Friday or Saturday morning, and I had done my work and was coming to realize that I was not cut out to be a cheese shop owner. Not so much because I didn't like the work, but I I felt that there was a certain aspect to running a small business that wasn't really uh, something that I felt I could uh, uh, relate to. And I stepped out of the shop, and where was I but right in front of Borough Market in London, which I'd known about and read about. But I stepped out just as the market was coming to life that morning, and it just struck me. It was it really had a mag- magical feeling to it. It uh, it felt like no other market that I'd been to, and I'd been to a number of them. It had a certain vitality and energy and beauty and and uh, history and all these things together. Had wonderful vendors, and it fe- it was very exciting to be there. And it felt like I was in London, and I was really seeing Londoners do their do their shopping and do their marketing, and and seeing these you know real essence of British life as reflected in the marketplace and in the foods that people eat. And it just immediately struck me: why don't we have a market like this in New York? And um, maybe that was one of the many little seeds that were planted. But I came home thinking, well, 
I don't know if I'm going to open a shop, but I, w- I wonder if there's a way to help get a market started. And that was, that was really the beginning of this process. And that was five years ago. Well, I mean, that's absolutely incredible. And it's, it's funny how, how ideas evolve kind of like collectively, subconsciously, because in those five years, New York has seen, I bet, more new markets Absolutely. Than any time probably in the past like hundred years. It could could well be, but it, and that's a really exciting thing. But in my mind, what's more exciting, or maybe because it relates more to this project, is the birth of so many new merchants who would be ideal market merchants. Because what happened after that visit to London is that later on that year, in the fall of two thousand five, I staged a market, a one day market. Uh, I did it on, for Slow Food USA as a as a prod you know i did it under their wing and uh, really wanted to recreate the feeling of a place like borough market even if for just one day or for a few hours and uh none of you guys existed at that time uh there were no real no like local cheesemongers or local butchers or people who were really carving out that kind of business the only one was uh, fleischer's which had had opened in kingston new york and they came down i'm really glad they were there because i could say that there was a real purveyor there <laughs> and um it's been so exciting over the course of these five years to see all these new businesses emerge that are doing the kind of thing that you'd want to find in the public market. And so I feel like that's another, that's a sort of an interesting segue as well, because the difference people I know oftentimes ask you and they ask me when they come to the shop as well, what's the difference between, you know, New Amsterdam market and like the green market? Mm-hmm. And I think that an important distinction that you've always made is um, that difference between the producer versus the purveyor and um, there is a space and there is um, you know definitely an appreciation for and a need for both Mm -hmm. Um, but just as I'm a shopkeeper and not a market organizer I like being the person that's kind of like on the ground doing that one thing I don't have that umbrella vision Uh, some farmers just want to be farmers they don't want to sell their products at market every week and so your market really has defined itself as being a purveyor's market. Exactly. And, and I view it, uh, people, and especially maybe because we're in New York we're in, and we're in a place where, you know, it's a, it's a competitive place and people like to write about things in a competitive way. And people, especially not so much now, but in the beginning, they always wanted to sort of pit this against the green market. And, and that was, it made me sad because I, it's absolutely not in any way uh, that it's, it's, I see it as a as just a further evolution of our of, of bringing back a regional food system, where like any system, a system is a is a is an organism or or an entity that has multiple components and multiple parts and even redundant parts, and uh, farmers markets are a part of a thriving regional food system, but they're not the only part, and uh, in the same way that farmers markets and green market. Awaken! Thank God we have green market, and it, I, that's where I get most of the food that I eat when I cook it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it awakened people's awareness in New York to the to the existence of, of local farms. But as time has evolved, and as people have become more more aware of this, and as the demand for local foods has grown, so have what also has to grow along with that are the options for buying local food and. As you, as you yourself said, we've got to tap into the fact that for all those farmers for whom the farmer's market is the ideal solution, they're there at the green market. And hopefully there'll be even many more green markets for as many farmers who want to come into the city and sell their food directly. 
But then for every one of those, there probably is another farmer or maybe even more than one who hates to sell what they grow or the cheesemaker who doesn't want to sit there at, at a stall and sell cheese all day. Or maybe they're just too far away and it doesn't make or sense too, for them. Or too busy running their own business. Right. And yeah, I think that that's, a, that's an interesting thing, scale. You know, right. if um, the demand for these foods, it seems would far outstrip the capacity of green market, even though I know that their markets are growing and they're right. trying to make them all thrive and be great. You know, there, there does need to be more concentration. And so that's exciting. They kind of paved the way. And now that there is that kind of base of knowledge, right. New Amsterdam is kind of like, you know, um, just taking it to the right. next level. Well, so and with, and with, so with scale, um, well, go ahead. And well, so it, it's a couple of things. First of all, it, it, uh, First of all, there are many farmers who participate in the green market who are just waiting for New Amsterdam market to exist because they themselves recognize that they want to have multiple outlets for their food. I mean, you yourself, I know, work with someone like um, Karen Weinberg, Free Corner Field Farm. She sells her farm directly uh, at Union Square, but she also sells it through you. And uh, we've come to, we're coming to understand that middlemen are not necessarily a bad thing. And that they, they they can take care of many needs that you know not everyone can do everything all the time and so the more that we can uh, add outlets the better off we'll be in, in bringing back a system that we really need to have so well I think that is the perfect time to take a quick break uh, we're gonna take a really fast break and when we come back um, we're gonna talk more about this scalability thing um, it's a uh, it's the most crucial part of the question stay with us on cutting the curve. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, uh, and my guest today is Robert LaValva, who is director and founder of the New Amsterdam Market, which is going to begin its season very soon. Yes. Sunday, June 27th. Sunday, June 27th. The days are counting down. The Por- sleepless nights are coming on, and we're getting ready for Sunday, June 27th. It is going to be great. Um, so before we get into the nitty-gritty of what's actually going to be at this market, which I definitely want to talk about, um, I feel like this this issue of scale and this issue of evolution in the regional food system is an interesting one because uh, while you are bringing green markets' ideas, I guess, um, to a different level of fruition, um, you know, through concentrating them, concentrating products at purveyors and bringing purveyors to the market. Um, there are certain things that, so that, so that's a little bit more advanced, but then like the space issue for you is still a very tenuous one. Um, mm-hmm. green market has established itself in the city and has the cooperation of the city to have their markets at all these different sites. Right. And so while your market is trying to do that work on a larger scale, you don't have yet a permanent home no. to do that work. No. Um, can, I know it's a tenuous situation, but um, let's I'm talk, about, to talk it. about it. Yeah. Well, 
as much as it's been an arduous and long road and, and sometimes very dispiriting and discouraging, every now and then I have to remind myself that the goal is quite a, quite a lofty goal. Our goal is that not only do we want to create this purveyor's market, this kind of old world, new world market in, in New York, but we want to put it at the site of the old Fulton Fish Market, down at the seaport, down on South Street, on the East River. Where and Joseph Mitchell wrote his Up in the Old old Hotel. Exactly, where, the, where old Mr. Flood and all those characters. But more than that, that you can, like an onion, you can peel away the layers and you can peel them all the way back and all the way back to the beginnings of New York City when it was called New Amsterdam. That's where the first markets were held. It's a very symbolic place for that reason. And even beyond that, it was a gathering point for Native Americans. They came down there to feast on oysters. It was a place where they would just... Uh, the oysters were growing along the river and it was a short crossing distance over to Brooklyn so that was a natural gathering spot so there's been this um, humans have been gathering and feasting and eating in this part of the of New York City for millennia and uh, it's just uh, such a call and such a cry to 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 keep that tradition going that it uh, it has kept me going even in the darkest of days when it seems like it seemed like we could just never really uh, surmount the, these challenges because of course this is New York and of course if you have empty uh, shuttered dusty kind of decrepit looking old buildings well the natural instinct is why don't we knock them down and build up a shiny condominium tower there and that's kind of what makes New York what what makes New York what it is and you can't really fault it that's what makes New York a dynamic place and a place that we want to live in and, and, and exciting and so many people in the world love to be here so You've got to fight really, really hard to if you ever want to preserve something in New York. But what's uh, always um, what's always so exciting about this project is yes, we want to preserve an old and a historic site, but we don't just want to preserve it to kind of shine it up and put it on a shelf and look at it. We want to use it, and we want to use it in a really interesting way. We there we have these two old, uh, essentially they're sheds, which I love. They're simple, humble. Uh, non-pretentious metal sheds on the, on the river, on the water, and uh, they're, they belong to the public, so we have as much of a voice as anyone. Now, what does that mean, they belong to the public? They're owned by the city, and what does that mean? It means that every one of us has a stake in what, what their future is. We own them. They're public property. Wow. And the public decides what to do with public. It just has to speak up. I feel like that's the part that nobody knows about. It's very hard because... You know, the Fulton Fish Market, as crazy and amazing as a place as it was, was a place that everyone knew where it was, but not very many people went there. It operated in the dead of night. It had certain uh, colorful uh, uh, associations that it wasn't a place that a lot of people hung out. And, I, I, uh, I used to live down there mm-hmm. um, right before the, the year, the two years before it closed, right. I, I lived in that neighborhood and otherwise I never would have gone right ever but many nights walking home you know from dinner or whatever I would end up stopping and you could just walk right through and it got better like the longer the night went on you know it was like two three in the morning that was the best time to be there because as much as those guys would rather would rather have been left alone they were in a public space and you couldn't keep anyone out and that's what's also magical about a public market is it's a place that belongs to everybody yeah yeah, absolutely. So, but we were talking about, you know, when you're talking about the the site of the mm-hmm. current 
uh, or of the old Fulton Fish Market, which is still there in empty buildings. Right. I was like getting goosebumps thinking about people gathering there and different cultures having reasons to to feast there from the time of the Native Americans up through yeah. you know the immigrants when the big ships would come in and dock. And then I like the goosebumps disappeared when I thought about Pier 17 and what yes. is there now because now it is just so. It's such a bummer. It's a sad thing, but you know, what a, a thing I learned from uh, actually a man named Peter Stanford, a very charismatic character who was one of the forces behind preserving that whole neighborhood back in the '60s when it was all about to be demolished. And there was an, uh, a wonderful docu- a film made about their efforts and how, unfortunately, despite their best intentions. The powers that be said, "Look, we got to get, we've got to get real commerce in here. We've got to get the people who really know what they're doing in here." And they brought in the mall, and they brought in that development, and the people who were behind all of what what these pe- these visionaries had done were, were were sad about it because they saw their efforts being kind of thwarted, and they saw the mall coming in, and they saw that this magical place that they had helped save and were and helping to recreate was kind of being going to be choked by by the by this or roused, or roused. As, as Mosette Broderick yes, would say yes <laughs> but uh he has a great li- in this film he has a great line and he's speaking with uh, some one of the supporters and he's saying you've got to think in terms of decades and uh and that's that was an inspiration because it made me realize that they the job they did was monumental they they preserved this last little bit of a 19th century waterfront district that whose whose own history is actually even longer than the 19th century. They preserved that for posterity. And granted, a bit of a, a piece of it, a chunk of it, got mollified. And I like to say that I like to think of it as kind of being wrapped in vinyl, such that you can't even see it for what it is. But the thing is, it's still there. And so we kind of can, let's overlook that. Let's count the days that that lease will be over one day. And it may not be, it may be after our own lifetime, but... The fact is that the that the place was preserved, and let's look towards what still remains that hasn't been touched in that way. That's one of the other exciting things about the fish market buildings. They are untouched. They have a patina on them of centuries. Uh, they have, ad, you know, ads of, or drawings or paintings or signs from some of the old fishmongers. They have kind of the even some of the dust and grime of many years, but. It's one of the f- last places in Manhattan that hasn't been sanitized and cleaned up. And granted, they need a bit of a washing and a bit of a fixing up. But how exciting would it be to take this place and let it be and not try to gussy it up and not try to make it uh, into some kind of m- mall like all the malls that we know and have seen that are, and that are like every other place in the world yeah. and preserve a piece of New York that is so authentically New York and that is so much ours and so much part of our history and find ways to bring in food sellers and, of course, to meet all the codes as we know we have to meet and make sure that everything is kept at the right temperature and so on. Then these are all important things. But to try to do it in a way that, that leaves these buildings as sheds and that um, lets them breathe and lets people kind of feel like they've discovered something and come across something really interesting and unusual and unique and, and uh, of a place and of a, and of a time and... And alive with the the excitement of new businesses that are that are really carving and, and pioneering new ways of thinking about food, and I think that combination of the very old and the very historic and the very um, uh, f- things that are very fixed in time 
merged with the, with, with the innovative and the new and the exciting is something that would just be so dynamic and so uh, so amazing that I, I cannot let this project go as much as I've been tempted to. No, it's so good for all of New York that you haven't let it go. And everyone, <laughs> I feel like, who doesn't you know know about it yet, they will. They absolutely will. Because there are hopeful stories. Yes. Like, you know, there are the Jane Jacobs of the world there that are. saved the West Village from there are. being turned into an elevated highway. And um, there is the High Line, which there just is. got started or just uh, finally opened last year, which is a beautiful park mm-hmm. that they did, you know, minimal uh, sort of work on, but is right. now, you know, really speaks. It's a place that people from the world over come to see. And it speaks to the neighborhood. And that neighborhood has boomed right. because of the High Line being right. there. And so I feel like the the next the sort of very interesting thing about the market being in that site is is exactly what you're saying about having vendors that sort of uh, having a group of sellers a group of food sellers that sort of speak to a time and a place and you said new and innovative but what we're all doing the cheesemongers and butchers and all that it's like the dorkiest oldest stuff well it isn't it isn't because you're 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 reviving and 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 keeping alive old traditions but you're doing it to, in today's time and you know you're you're dealing with the codes as they exist today you're dealing with the uh the the new cheesemakers who are doing things that had never been done you know you're you're not you're not dressing in antique costume you're not trying to do some kind of recreation you're you're thoroughly modern people doing thoroughly, thoroughly modern things but what I really feel is, um, as I think about history sometimes, I think we have such a strange way of thinking about the past here that where we automatically place everything in the past as something that's gone and old-fashioned and uninteresting and boring and just something for the books. And I don't know why we haven't learned to kind of be a little bit more creative about how we think about this passage of time and how we could think about certain things just being kept through time or or not so much that they remain unaltered but that they live on well it's like a it's kind of like a language you know like it just changes like there are modifications made and people communicate using the same structure but the words might change or and so i feel like i don't know this would be i don't uh, an interesting time to talk about some of the vendors that okay. um, are gonna, that you find for these markets because um, we only have a couple minutes left and right. I always think that that to me is the most impressive thing about New Amsterdam market the depth and the variety of foods that you can find there both prepared to eat mm-hmm. while you're there and uh, you know and to, to take home with you and cook with um, so how do you find your vendors and, and what's that process like I get asked that question a lot and I've got to say that um, it's 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 a process like everything else we seek some of them out and some of them come to us uh, some of them come through all of the through the vendors that we have we get recommendations the word spreads there is there is no one process but I think, the one thing is that we've been very insistent. We really try to champion regional agriculture. Of course, we do let in products that are not from the region. We, particularly those that are sourced by people who are very thoughtful about the way they're doing it. The people I'm thinking of are people like Mass Brothers Chocolate or, or Stumptown or Intelligentsia. People who are 
getting out there and really understanding, you know, if they're bringing in cocoa or coffee beans or things like olive oil, they're not just buying it out of some commodity market. Or they're, they're not just sticking by some kind of free trade label there or fair trade label. They're really going directly to the source. But that aside, the main focus is, is on the region. And so we, we've been very insistent and adamant on, uh, on that and um, about that. And we, if we're going to talk to a purveyor, we want them to be really sourcing regional things. If, uh, you know, I got a letter today, an email from someone who says they're making some great pâtés and sausages and other kinds of products like that. But I wrote back and said, well, where are you sourcing all your meat? And that's a really important thing. It's not that we don't, it's not that we think that no good things can ever be imported, but we really want to champion what are people doing here. That, that we know that there are farms all around New York City and that they need our support and they need our help. And it's not just about the economics and the, um, and the uh, food miles. It's about having a local culture and about experiencing local flavors. And so we really, we're interested in the people who are interested in championing that. And so just, it's interesting, just as we were talking about language before. So this is kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, there, it's, it's, it's almost like a dialect, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's a rich, right. um, uh, you know, specific thing to this market and to this region that, um, you know, really um, is behind all of the, the diversity and the flavor that's there because people have always done a lot with a little. Right. And so I feel like that's also what the New Amsterdam market does. Um, New England isn't known for being like the most bountiful agricultural region in the world, but right. there is a lot here, and it's really well. And where, where we are, and where we are here, and that's the origin of the name, by the way. We're in New Netherland here. We're not in New England. We are in a in a region that was, well, obviously you can go back to the to the way past, but in terms of the kind of newer or old world sediment of the New World. This was understood to be a region that's distinct from from a place like New England, and it is even geographically and and um, in terms of climate and so on. So, what are the flavors this region produces? What are the what are the um, what is the essence of this region? We're interested in working with the people who are interested in discovering that. So that's that's what will make our dialect in terms as it ex- is expressed in the foods that we eat. Well. I, for one, am so excited about this upcoming market season. Um, we're almost—we're uh, actually almost out of time, sadly. But maybe if you can tell us a quick rundown of when the markets are going to be taking place, okay, and uh, and some information about the website and where people sure. can get information about it. The best thing, especially as we're a very small nonprofit and we can't always get everything out there the way we want, go to our website. We do update it as much as we can, and you will find everything there you need to know. You'll find directions. You'll find lists of vendors. New Amsterdam Market. Org. And um, we'll start out the year with some monthly markets, June, June 27th, July 24th, August 22nd, and then on September 12th, which is a really great uh, day for us, we're inaugurating our first our season of weekly markets. So then the market will be every Sunday, starting September 12th, all the way to the end of the year. Wow. And so that's going to mark a new phase in the development of New Amsterdam Market. And we really hope you please come out and support us. This is this is a chance for New Yorkers to show that this is a thing that will thrive and that will turn around that neighborhood and that will make it a great destination for the New Yorkers and for the world. And uh, come and support our vendors. We have great vendors, and it's going to be uh, it's just going to be an exciting 
ongoing, uh, never-ending series of exciting things happening from now through the end of the year and then onwards. And then onwards. Well, people always say vote with your pocketbook, but you can vote with your presence, too, because the more people that pack that market... The better the city officials definitely come. They definitely they come, check it out. They and see it. Uh, so, if this is, you know, if they see that this is uh, a vibrant, stunning place, which it definitely is, then then hopefully, fingers crossed, New Amsterdam public could have a permanent home Absolutely. in the seaport. And I'll and I'll just say that you know, people are make the difference. And if the more pe- markets are created by public requests, so come out and vote by coming coming into the market and supporting the concepts that uh, that we're trying to to purport to put forth so so uh sunday june 27th what are the hours of the market 11 a.m to 4 p.m keep an eye on those because as we move forward we might try to open a little earlier but definitely 11 a.m to 4 p.m that's the that's for now in the summer we're new yorkers we wake up a little late (laughs) it takes us time to set things up so uh that we start at 11 but uh we'll be there waiting for you and we're undercover so rain or shine the market takes place Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, we'll have to do a follow up in the fall to see the status of New Amsterdam market. Stay with us uh, for another episode of Cutting the Curd. Thank you so much.